Today is the last day that we're going to be in the book of Galatians as we're working our way on Sunday mornings through the entirety of Scripture, or the entirety of New Testament Scripture. And uh, we've been working on a couple of memory projects through this whole thing. And so today is kind of your final, right? Uh, first of all, how many of you read through the entire book of Galatians? All right, good. Uh, how many of you are now ready to do Galatians 2.20 with me? All right, let's try it. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, in this body, I live for the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I consider that to be the core of the book of Galatians. Because we are not saved by the law. We are not saved by flesh. We are saved by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in whom we place our faith. Now from that project of being saved and sanctified in Jesus, we then move into the reality that we are filled with the Holy Spirit as a gift of God. And because of that, we're supposed to be led by the Spirit. We're not, again, we're not living by the law. We're not living by the flesh. We are supposed to be living by the Holy Spirit's guidance. And so, by living in that fashion, we are to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Everybody ready with that? There's nine of them. It's, it helps me for some reason to put it on my fingers, okay? Here we go. Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And the Apostle Paul says against these things, there is no law. This is supposed to be the natural type of life that we have in Christ. Remember, the life I now live in this body, I live for the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. We should be naturally producing those fruit items of the Spirit. I want us to open to Galatians chapter 5 again. 6 is our project today. But I want to read again the fruit of the Spirit straight from the text. This time, I want you to do a self-evaluation. Do I have this? And I'm going to pause a little bit in the reading. And I want you to internally ask yourself, is this described me? Ready? This is Galatians chapter 6, starting at verse number 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Does that mean? Joy. Does that mean? Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness, self-control. Is that me? Because it should be. If your life is bound up with the life of Jesus Christ, those elements should be produced in larger and larger, more obvious content as you move forward in your life. He says... Against such things there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh 
with its passions and its desires. And if we live by the Spirit, then let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Now you remember what's prompted this letter to be written by the Apostle Paul. It's the Judaizers. It's the first big heresy that hit the church. It started in Antioch, but it apparently spread to Galatia. And when Paul sees it, he identifies it and tries to stomp it out again. And the big thing about it is, the Judaizers were Jewish people, some of them are Gentiles nowadays, who insist that the only way you can have Jesus is first you have to become Jewish. You have to be circumcised if you're a guy. You have to keep kosher. You have to keep the laws. You have to keep the Sabbath. You have to keep all these rules because that is the way you are saved. And Paul, in this letter, makes it crystal clear. No, it is not. You are saved by being crucified with Christ, living with Christ, and producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your day-to-day -day life for Jesus Christ. One of the things the Judaizers do is they cause trouble. They stir the pot. And they say, you need to do things my way or take the highway. Get out of here. And Paul, in this last section, kind of his wrap-up section, he wants to make it very clear, you guys, you who are living as the resurrected connected people of Jesus who are producing the fruit of the Spirit, you need to be treating each other with that love and respect and connection that the Holy Spirit wants. And that means knock it off with the cause of trouble with each other. If you are part of the problem, you need to switch and become part of the solution. Chapter number 6. He says, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, meaning more mature, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. One of the fruits of the spirit, right? Each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. So here, in the body of Christ, no matter which particular element of the larger body of Christ we're talking about. We're going to focus on this congregation right here. If we become aware in this congregation of a brother or sister that is falling back into sin, back into living the life of the flesh, we need to go to that person with gentleness and love and consideration, Jesus says, in private to begin with, and get them back on track. We don't jump on them with both feet and condemn them to high heaven. We're looking at them as somebody that needs help. Paul says, that's what you need to do. And while you're at it, you need to watch out for yourself. Make sure that you don't have your own issues that need to be dealt with. I can't help but think that he's thinking about Jesus' words. That how foolish it would be for a person to say to say somebody, hey, let me help you get that little speck sawdust out of your eye. When you got a great big point sticking out of your own eye. That's not helpful. 
You've got to make sure that you are crucified with Christ and living with Christ and full of His Holy Spirit before you start trying to fix other people's issues. He says in verse 2, Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Love. Love God with 100% of your being. Love everybody else like God loves them with 100% of your being. Love them as yourself. And it doesn't matter whether or not they like you or not. It doesn't matter whether they treat you nice or not. The scripture is plain. The law of love is what drives us as Christians. We look out for what's best for the other person, regardless of what it might cost us. If we have to give up some of our freedoms in order to save that person, do it. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he's just deceiving himself. If it's all about us, that's not good. And it's also not valid. Because it ain't. It's all about the other person. Paul goes on and says this, Let each one of you examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another. For each one shall bear his own load. That's interesting. Paul, first of all, says, we're all in this together, so look out for each other. And then he turns around and says, make sure that you're not just looking out for yourself. But when you do consider yourself... Be serious about it. And don't be trying to run other people's lives. He says that because that's what the Judaizers were doing. The Judaizers were going around and they were putting notches in their belt, if you will, saying, I got another one. I got another one that converted to Judaism under my teaching. And now he's doing things the way I told him he has to do it. Paul says, don't be like those. You know, preachers have to watch out for that. You know, there are some preachers that they get their whole identity from how many people are in church of them. That's how they do it. Uh, weirdly enough, when I was in undergraduate school, our professor told us of some preacher that was hired on the East Coast. This is back in the 80s. And one of the things that finally brought him to that particular church was he was promised he'd be paid a $1,000 bonus for every new person he brought into the church. What? That should not be what motivates preachers. That's a mercenary mindset. You've heard me preach over and over again about this idea that preachers are responsible for sharing the word of God as it is and encouraging people, do, don't just hear. So here's Paul saying, look, don't be like these Judaizers that get their jollies out of being in control of other people's lives. Understand that all of us are going to have to bear our own load. Every last one of us will answer to Jesus Christ for everything we've said and did. Whether it's good or bad. I don't know about 
here and say, well done, good and faithful servant, come on in, then I don't know who in the world you are or what you're thinking. Obey. We don't have a relationship. So not only do we have to look out for other people, we need to look out for ourselves. Verse number six. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Meaning there needs to be a partnership between us. I'm the one that does a lot of teaching around here. And you do a lot of listening. Hopefully a lot of learning. And uh, Paul is clearly talking here about this idea of let your preacher just preach. I mean, honestly. That's what it is. Uh, in another passage, it's put this way. You don't muscle the ox that's uh, treading out the grain. <clears throat> it was the idea that those who devote themselves to a full-time ministry can only do that if those they're ministering to support. That's it. Verse number seven, though, is more important than that. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Now, this is interesting. Jesus often told parables that were connected into the, the natural world. And one of the things that he talked about is, you don't go out to a fig tree and expect to find grapes, do you? Uh, you don't go to a grain field that is supposed to have been planted in barley and find, expect to find tomatoes, do you? Because this is the way it works. Whatever seed you plant is what's going to be produced. Paul grabs hold of that reality and he connects it to the idea of flesh and spirit that we've been talking about. Uh, we have a more modern day parable along this idea that I'm going to kind of <coughs> jog your memory on. Everyone has two dogs inside. A good dog and a bad dog. Which dog is strongest depends on which one you what? Feed. Paul says this. The one who sows to his own flesh shall from that flesh reap corruption. That's judgment. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. The, the fruit of the flesh is so obvious. And we have a whole big list it wasn't exhaustive, clearly. But it was basically people that sow to the flesh are all about themselves. They insist on their own way, and if they don't get their own way, they have a fit. And they don't care about other people, so they don't love. The only people they really love are the ones that will be beneficial to them. And the moment they quit being beneficial to them, they don't love them anymore. That's not true love. And so Paul says, the people that, that sow into that sort of attitude, they're going to reap that sort of judgment. 
If they don't repent, if they don't get things straight between themselves and God and themselves and other people, they will face ultimate judgment because you reap what you sow. But thankfully, if we are continually sowing into the Spirit, meaning we're living for Jesus, we've been crucified for Jesus, we live with Jesus, and we're sowing into the Holy Spirit's work day by day, then we're going to reap that harvest of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's going to be our lifestyle. And after that, eternal life. Now, how, how hard is it to grow a nice crop? How many of you are people that raise something in the soil, either flowers or vegetables? Right? Is this how you do it? You just grab something off a shelf somewhere and go out and just toss it under the ground whatever day, whatever time, and, and then you... Where's my, where's my crop? Is that how it works? No. That is not how it works. You have to go out there and do the back-breaking prep work and selection, and you think, well, this seed only goes in this far, and this seed needs to go in farther, this seed likes this type of, of weather or this type of sunlight, and you think about it, and then you have to go out there and water, and what's the thing we all hate doing? Weeding. I hated weeding when I was at home as, as a kid, but my mom would say this, those that don't weed, don't eat. I like to eat, so I weed. Now, we need to understand that same sort of thing when it comes to the Spirit. It takes effort. It takes thought. It takes preparation. It takes getting into the Word, and getting together with other brothers and sisters in Christ, it takes actually trying to do the Word, not just be a hearer of it. It means you don't just come here to this building for a few minutes on Sunday morning, once in a while, and figure everything's good. You invest time and effort, and then you go out there and put it into practice. That's how we will reap the harvest. He says, don't lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we don't grow weary. How many of you are tired of life when it's so hard? Oh, you're lying. Oh, you're lying. <laughs> but not raise your hand. Dan was stressing up a little while ago about it. All of us hate it. When life is not going well. And sometimes we want to do like a prophet Elijah and say, What's the use? Everybody's going to the dark side. I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me. Do you remember what God's angel passed on to him? You know, kicking him aside and all that sort of stuff. God's message was, You're not the only one left. I got plenty of other people that have never kissed Baal. Now, this is Thompson's uh, exegesis real quick, okay? Get yourself up and get yourself back to work. Because there's things to be done. So we as Christians, Paul says, you can't just give up. you got to get up every morning and pray 
You've got to work and study and fellowship and encourage. Because this is how we will see a harvest in our own lives and in the lives of other people. Verse number 10. So then, while we have opportunity, let us good, do good to all men. You see that? All! This is an emphasis again on Jesus' teaching. You may have been told by bad teachers in the past, love your neighbor but hate your enemy. Jesus says, I'm telling you, love your enemy. Do good things for your enemy. Pray for your enemy. Paul says, we need to do good to all men, and especially to those who are the household. You treat your family well. But you shouldn't be treating everybody well anyway. Verse number 11. A little personalized thing for Paul. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Uh, the typical practice in these days, uh, there was no such thing as printing presses or typewriters or anything like that. And so uh, everything had to be handwritten. And so there was a class of people called scribes. They were professional writers. They could write letters uniform in size and character and almost look typewritten. And so you would very often hire a scribe and dictate your letter to them so that uh, to your friends so that they'd be able to read it instead of your script. So Paul made it a habit, like many people did, toward the end of that big big letter, you always put a little bit of yourself. So that's what he's doing here. He says, look how much bigger my letters are than the scribes. But I want you to know that I'm thinking about you. He says, verse 12, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So he's back on the whole big point of this book. He says, you know those Judaizers? I'm writing this with my own letters because I want you to understand how I'm serious about this. Those guys are not out to help you. They're only looking out for themselves. Verse 13, For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. He said, Guys, do not be conned by these guys. They are only doing this because they want to put a notch in their belt they want to use you as some sort of trophy on the wall. And that is not what it's about. He says, May it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I for the world. What's the one thing that all of us should be able to boast about? Say it again with me. The memory verse. Uh, Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live for the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's what we should be boasting about. Jesus died for me. And not just that, he died for you. 
We don't go around boasting about, well, you know, I've converted and baptized 50 people this year. What are you doing? We should be boasting, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer me living in this body. It's Christ who's living in me. This life, I'm living for Him. And I'm producing the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law in the world that's going to stop me from living for Jesus Christ. They could kill me. And the last thing I'll be doing is like Stephen, praying for them. We Christians cannot allow false teachers to come in and twist the story. The gospel is about Jesus dying and rising again. And being offered to anyone and everyone as Savior and Lord. We don't look at people's outsides before we decide if they're worthy to be saved. We don't expect them to change a whole bunch of things and then maybe you'll be good enough to have Jesus. We meet people where they're at and let them know Jesus died for you. We live for him. Paul says, For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but it's a new creation. That's what matters. It don't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile. Have you been born again into Jesus Christ? Are you living in the Holy Spirit? doesn't matter if you're male or female. What matters is, do you belong to Jesus Christ? doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, or somewhere in between. doesn't matter if you're smart, or stupid. doesn't matter whatever it is that you want to use as a dividing category. That dividing category doesn't matter. What matters is, you belong to Jesus Christ. Have you been crucified with Him? Are you living with Him? Are you producing the fruit of the Spirit? That's all that matters. Verse 16, those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be on You want to have peace and mercy in your life? Live according to this book. Be crucified with Christ. Live with Christ. Walk with the Spirit. Produce the fruit of the Spirit. That's how you end up with peace and mercy. Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God, which is really interesting because he is having to criticize a whole bunch of ethnic Israelis, ethnic Jews, who are trying to hijack the gospel of Christ by forcing people to become Jewish. And Paul says, mercy and peace on those you who don't get sucked into that heresy. But also, let's understand this. There needs to be this mercy and peace upon the true Israel of God. Who is the true Israel of God? Those that have faith like Abraham's faith. 
This is the first book that Paul writes. He will delve into this topic in a couple of the other books. The fact that just because you're ethnically Jewish is not a magic salvation marker. And just because you're not ethnically Jewish does not mean that you're lost. What matters is, do you have the faith of Abraham? Do you believe in Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do you believe that He died for your sins and rose again for your justification? Do you believe that He is your Lord and Savior? Do you believe that He is your intercessor on high and He's coming again as King of kings and Lord of lords? Do you believe that? That is what makes you a member of Israel. Because Israel is all about faith. Verse 17. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The word for brand marks here is stigmata. Now how do you know what stigmata is in the Catholic faith, right? Stigmata is this idea that every once in a while people get these marks in their hands and on their feet uh, and on their foreheads and sometimes on their side that match what they believe are the marks of Jesus' crucifixion. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul has been beaten up quite a few times by for his faith in Jesus Christ. He was even stoned to death once, seems like. Very close to death, or maybe he died and had to be resurrected by God's power. You think that might have left some marks? You know, we you know we bump ourselves in our houses and we go, boy, that's going to leave a mark, right? How would you like to uh, have a whole bunch of stones thrown at your body? I think that probably left plenty of marks. Paul says to his own students, because he's the one who was involved in founding the congregations here. He says, don't let any of these people hassle me anymore about whether or not I'm preaching the gospel. My body is proof that I preach the gospel. I got time, so I'm going to tell a historical story that illustrates this. All of us, you, you know Herod the Great. Everybody loves to hate Herod the Great. Herod the Great's father, Antipater, was a very just, fair, righteous leader in Israel. Uh, Josephus even talks about him being such a, a righteous man. And he was accused in front of a couple of famous Romans, uh, a guy that will eventually be in, uh, Augustus Caesar and uh, Mark Anthony. He was accused once of being a traitor, not just simply to the Romans that he was allied with, but he was a traitor to the Jewish people. And he got up in front of all the people in that audience, and he ripped open his clothing, and he showed all of the places where he had been hurt, stabbed, and sliced, and shot with arrows, and rocks, and things like that, in all the wars that he'd been involved in as a Roman Jewish soldier. And he says, my body proves that I am loyal to the cause. That's what Paul is saying here. 
Now, none of you that are here today, I don't know there are any marks on you that you suffered because of Jesus Christ. I don't think any of you have come close to death or been tortured. But you do bear one mark on yourself that all of us are supposed to have. And that is the mark of Jesus Christ himself. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I can live. It's Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in this body, I live for the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. And that produces all that fruit of the Spirit. Go out there and show the people of this world the marks of Jesus in your life. You don't have to rip your clothes open or anything like that. All you have to do is in front of your co-workers, in front of your family, in front of your friends, in front of the person at the checkout lane, in the front of the person that's in the car behind you. Just live like Jesus. And you'll be doing what Paul's talking about. Paul says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits ready. Amen. He closes this very first book with the way he closes pretty much all of his books. And that is, may God's grace, Jesus' unmerited favor, rest on you. May you be led by the Holy Spirit in having that sort of grace. And we all say together, Amen. Because Amen means that's true. I agree with that. Let's go out there and live for Jesus Christ in a world that desperately needs Father, I thank you for the Apostle Paul getting this written down. We know he was very frustrated from the very beginning of writing this because so many of his students have been compromised by the false teachers, by the Judaizers that wanted to not make it about Jesus anymore. They wanted to make it about Judaism. They wanted to make it about the law. Father, we have people in our own lives that seem to want to grab hold of Christianity and twist it into something else. They want to make it about other things. Help us, Father, to wrest control of the discussion back to where it belongs. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Him dying for our sins and rising again for our justification. That it's all about the fact that we have been crucified with Him. That we're not living for us anymore. We're living for Him. Help us, Father, to prove to people that we're representing Jesus by having the fruit of the Spirit seen in everything that we do. Forgive us when sometimes we get off track, when sometimes we get distracted, when sometimes we make it about ourselves or about other things. Help us, Father, to live for Christ who died for us and rose. It's in His name we pray these things again.